This is the Wave Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love for you to join us in person Sunday mornings at 10.30. Visit us online at wayfamily.church. So I'm going to invite you to open to Acts. And we're going to continue in chapter 23. We started chapter 23 last week. Um, and... Uh, we began chapter 23 and we read of Paul as he stood under trial by the Sanhedrin. And it didn't take much by Paul to continue to, to kind of work in his trend and that was to start revolts and riots. So as we kind of just remember what we've read, we read that Paul's really good at doing that. Why? Because he's promoting, preaching, presenting something that's just so um, heavy for some and so exciting for others, right? And for those who oppose Jesus Christ and the resurrection, it is nothing but um, chaos, the message that Paul is preaching. And so he goes and he stirs up revolts everywhere, and it really doesn't take much from him, from him to do that. But as far as we can see, um, the only thing Paul really appealed to was that he had the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that was enough to kind of stir people up, right? And so this single statement provokes the Sanhedrin, if you remember last week, to a great clamor, a violent disagreement. Forces, it forces the Roman tribune. We've seen a little bit of the Roman tribune. His name is uh, Claudius Lysias, and it forces him to send soldiers out into the Sanhedrin to pull Paul out because he's afraid that Paul's going to be hurt. In fact, if we look at the language used in the book of Acts right there in chapter 23, it says that the disagreement got violent. And so if you can just imagine that, these people who are the religious leaders of Israel are kind of getting into a fight because they're disagreeing about Paul and the resurrection. And so that's where we left off. And so today, um, I want to just introduce you to this next part of the chapter of 23, and it's a plot to kill Paul. Now, You'll remember, for those of you who've kind of been following along with us in Acts, this is not the first time that Paul's been plotted against. In fact, this is maybe, I think, the third or fourth time that he's been plotted against. Uh, in, in chapter 9 of verse 23, shortly after Paul was converted, there was a plot that was made against him. And so if you remember, he had to be lowered from a basket to be able to escape the walls of Damascus. Do you remember that? Um, and then after that, he had plans to go through Macedonia and to go back to certain churches he had planted, but then there was a plot against him, and so he had a kind of detour. And so this is something that's not new to Paul. What's a plot? It's a plan. It's a plan to kill him, a plan to murder him. And so this is what we have here. Now, um, I want to be honest with you. As I, was, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was struggling a little bit because... I didn't know where to go with it because usually what I look for is I didn't find here in this passage. And I'm just being honest with you. I didn't find that. I didn't find what I normally look through when I prepare. And I usually use the inductive study method, which, which is just observation, application, I'm sorry, interpretation and an application. And the things that I observe for, I look for, it's like, okay, any kind of uh, Christian truths, right? Or spiritual truths or truths about God, about Jesus, about uh, any kind of doctrine that we can learn from, for example, like resurrection, baptism, Holy Spirit. Uh, there's also gospel, etc. Right? I would just look for things like that when I prepare. That's part of the observation part and, and then the interpretation part. And as I'm going through this passage, and Sandy can, 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 can attest to this, I was having a hard time. 
because I didn't know what to really do with it. There, I couldn't find the normal things I usually find in this pas in these passages. There's nothing about Jesus in this particular section of 23. There's nothing about the Holy Spirit. There's nothing about God. There's nothing about baptism. There's nothing about whatever, you know? And so I'm thinking, what is going on here? And so it was obvious to me that there was definitely this providential protection. And I mentioned that last week. I knew it was kind of going there. But it was interesting that that's all I could see. And so it kind of stumped me to the degree that I had to rewrite this whole thing. So I wrote it. I thought, hmm, <laughs> this isn't working for me. And then I rewrote it. And as I'm rewriting this, I'm re going through this sermon. I'm realizing, wow, this is amazing. This is something totally just, I would say, just out of, out of the norm, but nevertheless necessary. And I'll tell you what, and I'll, and I'll explain this here. Out of the norm in the sense that when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Bible, we're typically, you know, influenced by miracles and, or these amazing things that God does in people's lives. For example, when the Israelites are marching around the walls of Jericho, what happens? A miracle happens. The walls come down, right? Uh, the Israelites are about to be persecuted by the uh, Egyptians, and they... they they're cut off by the Red Sea. What happens? A miracle happens. The Red Sea parts, right? And so we have Paul. Paul is uh, um, arrested in Philippi, if you remember that part. And so we think, oh, it's over for Paul and Silas. And then what happens? A miracle happens. There's an earthquake right in the, the epicenter is right where he's at. And so these chains that he's bound by break and they're off of him. And there's no explanation to that other than there's, it's just a miracle. And God's doing these supernatural things in life, right? And they influence us. In this particular case, there is no miracle. And did you know that life is not all about miracles? And our faith is not based on just the miracles that we can observe or not observe. And I'm sure some of you guys have experienced some kind of miracles, but I'll tell you what, some of us perhaps haven't, or some of us feel like we don't see them enough. And guess what I learned from this passage? That's okay. All right. And I'm excited to share that with you because to me, this was like, wow, this is great. This is the kind of perspective that we need to have as Christians. And so as I'm reading through this, pot is being, um, oh, pot, plot, pot, sorry. Paul is being plotted against, okay? Which means people hate him so much that they, they want to kill him. They want to kill Paul. This reminds me of David. Do you remember David? Now David, his whole life was pretty much a plot against him. His whole life. If you remember him, he served the king under the first king of Israel, King Saul. And he kind of served by just playing his harp. And the Bible says that it soothed the king. And so David was really appreciated by King Saul to the degree that he's promoted to armor bearer. And so you think things are going well for David. But then uh, after he's armor bearer, there's this threatened Israel and to the king, King Saul. There is this Philistine giant named Goliath. You remember that guy? And that was threatening the kingdom. And here comes David and he says, I'll take him on. Come on, bring it. Why are you guys so afraid of this Philistine, right? And so David actually defeats Goliath in single-hand single, single, single hand combat. It's one-on-one, man-to-man, right? And so Israel is actually uh, freed from this oppression from Goliath and the Philistines, and so is Saul. And so David is now appreciated for everything that's happened, but Saul does not take well to it. In fact, he doesn't take well to it to the point that he starts becoming envious against David. And so he conspires to kill David. Saul conspires to kill David. And it starts with just kind of underground, you know, I want him dead kind of situation where, you know what, David, I'm going to promote you to general and I want you to go to the front lines and I hope you die. 
That was kind of the attitude that Paul had. Well, guess what? David went and he did well and the Lord blessed him because the favor of Lord was over him. And I like to say this, when you have favor, man, you're unstoppable. When you have the Lord's favor, it's, it's awesome. And then also this, favor ain't fair. So it doesn't matter what you do or who you are. It's just the Lord's favor over you. Cool, right? And so David had this. And so he com continues to become a greater man, a greater general, a greater soldier. And he's even honored High, higher than what was before. And so he kind of received this prey and this honor that Paul just became more and more jealous about to the degree that he said, you know what? I can't stand you. He takes a spear and he literally tries to kill David himself. He fails at it. David runs. And so he says, I need David dead. And so a plot is set against David and the whole kingdom is pursuing David because Paul not Paul, Saul, the king at the time, hates him. And so you think, all right, this will be over when Saul dies. Well, fact is that Saul pers pursues David this way until he dies. And then after that, the northern kingdom also doesn't accept David as king. And so they have a, a problem with him and they also plot against David. Finally, after several years, David is able to unite the kingdoms, right? And then his son Absalom rises against David and he plots to kill his own father. And so here you have David, a man of God, who is being plotted against over and over again. And now we have Saul, or not, I'm getting these names mixed up. Paul, who was Saul, right, who was known as Saul, a man of God who is also continuously being plotted against. And so was Saul or David saved by miraculous interventions? Not necessarily. And this is what we want to see here. We want to see something that is just so real in life, but it's so easy to dismiss. And so with that, I want to just share with you uh, a little bit of providence. This is the providential protection of God over Paul. And so I, again, as I'm studying, I'm looking for things that are just kind of just normal, you know, looking for the things that I can plug in, truths that we can talk about. I'm not finding anything. No mention of God, no mention of Jesus, no mention of any kind of spirituality, Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking, okay, what direction to go? Can you think of another book in the Bible that's similar in this way? Yes or no? No? Did you know that the book of Esther has no mention of God whatsoever? Did you guys know that? And what is the book of Esther about? God's providence. Wow, interesting. And so here's the theme here. And I want to talk about that God's providential protection. Now, here's the thing. Like, if, if there's nothing in this passage that has to do with God, per se, why is it here? Well, it's definitely here for reason. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So it's no accident that this passage that does not mention God is here. So let's look at why. The providence of God. It is the providential protection of God. What is providence? According to the dictionary, it is the protective care of God. It's that simple, right? In biblical terms, it is God's caring provision for his people as he guides them in their journey of faith through life, accomplishing his purposes in him. So this has a lot to do with the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? That means that God rules. God reigns. He's in control of everything. That's what it means that God is sovereign. And so what we're going to see here is his providence. And so actually, here's the other thing. 
I talked about miracles a little bit, right? I mentioned them. Did you know that miracles and providence is kind of the opposite? If you think about miracles, it's God's mighty hand kind of uh, manipulating the, the, the natural in a supernatural way, right? And so you say there's no explanation in that. That's a miracle. Providence is the other thing. It's nothing supernatural. It's God just using everything in nature for his purpose, Everything's normal. Everything's cool. You don't see it, but God's putting pieces together and nothing's coincident. And he has ordained everything to come together for his purposes, for his glory. And that's what we see here. And so with that, I want to invite you to, to Acts. That was a long intro. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to invite you to Acts chapter 23. And we're going to read here what happens um, after Paul exits the council. <clears throat> and it says this. It says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Then they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves to an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so they went and entered the barracks and told Paul. He went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring you this young man. <clears throat> to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. 19. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came up on them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen, <clears throat> having learned that he was a Roman citizen, and desiring to know the charge for which he for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go with him. When they had come to Caesarea, and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also to him. On reading the letter, he asked, 
what providence he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you hearing when your rescuers arrive, when your accusers arrive. And he, command, <clears throat> and he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Patrium. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand it, that you would help us see the providential protection over Paul's life here and help us understand it and how it also applies to our life, Lord Jesus. Father, let us deeply understand your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I mentioned, there's a plot against Paul. We want to look at this in the sequence of three different events. The first thing that's going to happen here is the plot planned. I want to talk about that really quick. And then we're going to go into the plot exposed as we read. It's planned, it's exposed, and then finally it's derailed. Okay, so let's dive back into the, the passage and break it down a little bit more. And it says, in looking intently at the council, wait, that's not the right passage, right here. When it was day, <clears throat> the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath. Now here's interesting. This is the very next day that Jesus saw the Sanhedrin. The very next day. So he sees the Sanhedrin. Did I say Jesus? That Paul sees the Sanhedrin. Excuse me. I am so scatterbrained today. I think it's the switch of environment. It's really throwing me off. <laughs> and so, um, uh, so Paul sees the Sanhedrin. The very next day, he, uh, he is being plotted against. So he goes to sleep, wakes up, and then the Jews make a plot against, them, against him. And they, they, it says here that they bound themselves by an oath. Now, this is very interesting. This oath, the Greek states here that they anathemathe anathematized themselves. Now, I don't know if you remember hearing this word in other places, anathema. Is that, does that ring a bell for anybody? But it's, it's used a lot in Galatians. Exactly. In fact, let me see you a pass, Let me show you a passage in Galatians here. Chapter one, verse eight and nine. It says, but even with, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed means anathema. And it, and it says in nine, as we had said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That word accursed, anathema. So what does the word anathema mean? It's God's divine judgment or punishment. And so what they're doing is they're taking an oath stating that if they don't kill Paul, may God's divine judgment fall over them. Like this is the seriousness of what they're doing. This is the seriousness of their commitment to kill Paul. What's interesting, though, is that they're invoking God's judgment over them if they don't get this done as if though this was God's will. And this is interesting because many of the times we think we're acting in according to God's will and we're far from it. And so what I find very concerning is that these guys are promising not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. I wonder if they're still hungry or thirsty, right? Because they take the serious oath. And so that's what that is. It's, 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 it's this oath really founded on a true deep desire to see Paul die. If you can just th think about that for a second. And it, keeps, and it says that in, in chapter 13, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Now, why is this significant? I like that Luke gives us insight as to how many people were a part of this. This is kind of the strength of this plot. This is how determined they were to kill him. Because remember, a plot against Paul has been made previously and has failed. Now, the fact that there's 40 is actually quite genius in the sense that what they're going to think they're planning on doing is 
They want to lure Paul into the council again, and then 40 guys are going to ambush and then make sure that Paul is wiped out. The benefit of this is that not a single person would be able to be pointed out. Do you see that? It's going to be kind of like the Egyptian that they accused Paul of being in the first place. How the assassins kind of just stormed in and they, they, they kind of used the, 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 the cover of the crowd to hide their actions or their deeds against the people and they would murder people that way. This is the exact same kind of tactic that they're looking into doing. And so it continues to read, there was a, a more than 40 who made this conspiracy. 14. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. 15. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you. Now, I want to take a step there, uh, a pause there and read this because I want you to notice this. These people who are conspiring against Paul are now addressing the council, the rulers of Israel, the religious rulers of Israel, and they're commanding him commanding them. They're saying, now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune. And here's what's interesting is that um, they kind of assumed that the council would be on the same page with them to kill Paul. That's a testament to the corruption of the council, of the, of the, the, the leaders of Israel. They were corrupt enough to be able to persuade it to murder someone who has been uncondemned. Why? Because we just don't like him, because we just don't like his message. And so sure enough, the council does not disappoint. They go in with him with the, into the plot with them. And so that was the plot formulated. You see that? It's kind of foolproof. Okay. He's, in the, he's, he's under jurisdiction of the Romans. We have to get them to bring him out to meet with you guys again because it didn't go well the first time. While they're going there, we're going to ambush them. There's going to be 40 of us. This will guarantee that Paul dies, especially because he is going to be under heavy guard, heavy Roman guard, right? And so the fact that there's about 40 of us, maybe even more, will guarantee success for this plot. And the religious leaders say, yeah, we like it. All right. Okay. That's the plan. Now, let's see what happens as it is exposed. Chapter or verse 16 through 22. Now the son of Paul's sisters heard. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. Wait a minute. Paul had a sister <laughs> and, and he has a nephew. We've never heard of this before, right? This is the very first time that we hear of any of, uh, of Paul's family specifically. OK, there's some speculation that he might have mentioned to some um, as 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 kind of just relatives. But it's not nothing as direct like this. And so here it just so happens that Paul's nephew is in the right place at the right time. Is that coincidence or what is that? That's providential protection. That is providence. That is God's way of putting people in place for his glory. This is where providence really starts to, to pop out. It's like, how come we've never heard of Paul's family? And what is this kid doing around the plan anyway? Like, isn't Paul from Tarsus? Is he here because he's starting to be a Pharisee like Paul was, or is he a believer? I don't imagine that Paul didn't preach to his family. I'm sure that he was very good at that, right? And so it could be that Paul or, or um, 
uh, Paul's nephew was just living there and, and was at the right place at the right time because God put him there for this specific purpose. And so here he is and he hears, he hears the plan that has, that has come. Excuse me, the wind is throwing me off here. Okay. And so he heard of the ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and he told Paul. Now, see, Paul was not a condemned uh, a prisoner, so he, there was access to him. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but if you were under arrest or say if you were a prisoner of the Romans, only family had the access to come and visit with you. They were the only ones who could come and kind of bring those, those basic necessities that a prisoner would need. And so it just so happens that it was a relative of Paul that heard the plan. And so he was granted access to see Paul, right? Do you see this? Do you see the providence here of God? And so he tells Paul because he has access uh, for Paul. And then Paul called out one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune. For he has something to tell him. And so the centurions took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring you this man, this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. Now look at this. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? Now if you can imagine this. Remember, a tribune is a, is a bad Roman soldier, okay? And so what he does is, okay, there's this young man who has information for me and he takes him by the hand, right? He says, come, what is it that you have to tell me? Now this is interesting to me. Again, providence of God. A Roman soldier does not behave like that, especially to non-Romans. So why is this tribune so gentle with this young man, this boy, and so eager to bring him in and so compliant to the request that he has something to say to him? Guys, this is not normal. And so this is what I want you guys to see is that God's working these pieces together and he's protecting Paul through means of other people. And they're totally unaware that they're being used by God. And that's the reality of today. So this is not necessarily a miracle. This is providence. God's just putting the pieces together. And why does he take the young boy by the hand? Well, it could be for several reasons. One, that he actually has a dignity for life, right? And he cares that the young boy would feel welcomed and, and, and safe with him. Or it could be, and this is more likely, that this was his lead. This is like, really, you have some information for me? This tribune has no idea what to do with Paul next. And so, yeah, I'll take it. And so don't be afraid. Come on, you can tell me, right? And so he takes this young boy and he calms his nerves, as you can imagine, a young boy in front of the Roman tribune. And he has this message. And the message he goes, get, he goes and, and expresses, says, I have something to tell him. And so the tribune took him by the hand, going along. He asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, and he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. And look at this authority <laughs> that the boy exercises towards the tribune. He tells them, but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush. See, this is care not just for Paul, but for the tribune. You see, the plan is to overcome the Romans to be able to kill Paul. And he says, don't do it. Please don't do it. For more, there's 40, more, 40 or more of them who are lying in ambush. They're hiding out there. And you won't be able to tell who they are because they want to kill him. 
It says, you have bound, uh, they've said this, that they have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now, he says, they are ready, waiting for your consent. What's interesting to me is that the timing is perfect. This young boy was able to come into the tribune before they even asked the tribune if they can inspect Paul a little bit closer. The timing is just so perfect. It just so happens that this boy was at the right place at the right time. And it just so happens that he had direct access to Paul. And it just so happens that the Tribune welcomed him gladly because the Tribune needed kind of information to be able to know what to do next. And it just so happened that he got there before the message came to the Tribune to see if they can investigate Paul closely. Do you see how the pieces are kind of falling together? This is God's providential protection over Paul and over those he wants to protect. <clears throat> and so the tribune dismissed the young man in verse 22, and he tells him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Why? This is too good, right? If anyone hears that the tribune knows the plan, it'll be like that. For the plan to change the plan will be readjusted and so at this point they don't have the element surprise versus the element of surprise if you understand what i'm saying the the jews thought that they had the element of surprise here but now the romans are aware of it and this is just god god's way of really protecting and prepping and using those who are totally unaware that they're being used by god and he says tell no one and so the next part that we want to look at here is uh, the plot derailed. So how do, they, how do they, 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 they tear this apart? And this is what we read here. Then he called two of the centurions. So Lysias immediately responds to this situation. He knows it's a matter of urgency. And then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers. Wow, that's a lot of soldiers, don't you think? And he says, with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen, and he says, go as far as Caesarea on the third hour of the night. Now, that's a lot of people now to protect Paul. Now, if I'm Paul and if I'm under Roman arrest and I heard that the Jews are out to kill me and then I see that there's going to be 200 soldiers, several spearmen and horsemen to protect me, I'm feeling pretty good. Wouldn't you say? I'm thinking, thanks, God. You got this, right? I'm feeling pretty good. There's no way that anyone's going to get to him. And then on top of that, now we're going to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was the seat of, of the governor of Rome. This is where Pontius Pilate resided. All right? This is, this is kind of like uh, Capitol Hill for, for the province of Jerusalem. And so they're going to, to Caesarea, and he's going to be heavily guarded. I'm thinking that is so cool the way that God's just setting all that up for for Paul and so they they go and not just that on it says on the on the third hour that's 9 p.m. they're using the cover of night as well and then to make matters even more interesting or even better for Paul where God's just kind of showing off his power it says in verse 24 also provide mounts for Paul to write and bring him safely to Felix the governor wow so not only do I get to go under the cover of night with a heavy guard, I get to ride a horse. You know, Paul never had that luxury, <laughs> you know? And now he's, he's, he's able to just ride straight to Felix the governor. Felix the governor, he's actually, we don't know who came right after Pontius Pilate. At least I couldn't find out who the governor was after Pontius Pilate. But 
after that, whoever that was, it was Felix. And so Felix is interesting because he was actually highly regarded. He earned his right to be governor. If you remember when we talked about Paul being confused by the Egyptian, do you remember that, the Egyptian assassin? It was Felix, when he was tribune, who dismantled that whole situation. And so he was very revered. He was definitely honored just as a soldier and as a leader. And so now he's governor and, he's being, and Paul's being brought to him. And so they provide mounts for Paul to ride and to bring him safely to Felix. And then 25, and he wrote this letter to this effect. Now this is the letter of the tribune writing to Felix. It says, Claudius Lysias to his excellency. By the way, this is the first official mention of the tribune's name. This is how we know his name. To his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. It says this, this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came up upon them and then, excuse, let me start all over. I'm messing this up. This is a really good letter. I want to get it right. Claudius Felix, or <laughs> guys, something's going on today. I don't know what it is. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. To, uh, it says, this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Wow, that was so heroic. And then check this out. Having learned that the, the man was a Roman citizen. Wait a minute. He left something out. What did he live out? Wasn't he about to flog him? He left that out. That was an important. Let's not say that. He says, I rescued him. And then I learned that he was a Roman citizen. 28. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. He says, I found that he was being accused about questions of their law but charged with nothing deserving death or punishment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. Sincerely, Claudius Lysias. All right, that's, that's the letter that, that Claudius writes to um, Felix. And I love the way he presents Paul. And so he sees that Paul has no error or no, nothing to be condemned about again, uh, at this point. And so I'm bringing him to you because you're the man. All right, man. And he's also taking advantage of this beautiful opportunity for him to kind of dispatch him off to the next higher level, right? So that he doesn't have to worry of it. And the fact that he did it this way excuses him from being questioned by the Jews who had plotted to kill Paul. So now it's not about, hey, you found out that we were going to do this, right? Why did you do this? Why did you dishonor our system? No, 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 no. Claudius Lysias did everything he could, and he had good reason to get rid of Paul. And so now he's off the hook. And so the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Now, what's Antipatris? <laughs> you know, the Antip Ant Antipatris was halfway between Jerusalem and Caesarea. It was the site of a significant Roman military base or a garrison this site would ensure paul's safely overnight so what's interesting is they're getting they're getting but they're not going to be able to make it to caesarea um, because it's late at night it was 9 p.m when they took off right and so they find this place and they think this is perfect this is a roman military base nothing bad is going to happen to paul here and so they get there and then on the next day they return to the barracks so those 200 soldiers and spearmen they return to the barracks but they let the horsemen go on with paul 
verse 33. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. And on reading the letter, he asked what providence he was from. And we had learned that he was from Cilicia. Remember, Cilicia was Paul's hometown. Tarsus was there. And it was a, definitely a providence that this, this man had jurisdiction over. And so he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's patrium. By the way, just a side note, that was uh, Herod's the Great's residence. And it was perfect for Roman officials to take over because it had luxuries. It had courtyards and it also had prisons to be able to, to, to house prisoners. And so this is where the Roman governor resided. And so now Paul is at his hands. And so I don't know as if you're seeing what I'm seeing as you read this. Did you find the name of God in any of this? No. Jesus? No. But what did we see? We see the providential protection of God over Paul. Why? Because he cares for him. Because remember, um, before we got, before we, uh, when we stopped last week in, in verse 11 of chapter 23, Jesus himself appeared to Paul and he told him, take courage for as you have testified of the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. So Paul had no worry in this case in the sense that he knew that he was going to get somewhere out of there. There is no way he was going to die here because Jesus himself said that I would testify in Rome. And so that in itself was encouraging for Paul. And now the way that um, uh, God really protects Paul out of that hostile situation, I wouldn't just say it, it was awesome. I would say it was luxurious the whole process. And it was just God's favor and protection over Paul. And so with that, I want to just take, just go with our takeaways. Okay, so what do we learn from this? The first one is, regardless of whether or not you see God, he's working. We don't always see the hand of God, do we? Sometimes we scratch our heads and we wonder, where are you, God? Are you here? Well, let me tell you, he is. And he's working regardless of whether or not you see him. To Habakkuk, I don't know if you've ever read the, the, the minor prophet Habakkuk, but Habakkuk complained against God for being absent in their time of challenge. You see, they were going through this time where they were being persecuted by the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk is crying out to God, God, where are you? Why, why aren't you here? Why are you allowing all these things to happen? Well, God responds with, it, with this statement in chapter 1, verse 5 of Habakkuk says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a good work in your days, a work in your days, that, if, that you would not believe if told. In other words is, hey, you don't see it, but I'm doing something. And in fact, the fact that these, these Chaldeans or these Babylonians were being raised against the Israelites, that Habakkuk was complaining, that was God's plan. That was actually God's plan. You see, God can use anybody for anything, believer or non-believer, because he's God. He's the creator. He's the one who makes all things, and all things are held together by his mighty hand. And so regardless of whether or not you see God, he's working. God is faithful. He's faithful. He promises to always be with us. In 1 Corinthians 9 or 1, 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. We know that God is not going to let down with his promises. We can trust that he's going to be near and dear to us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who, uh, who are called according to his purposes, God is always working in the lives of his people. 
If you have received the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you have that assurance that God is working in your life and things are not finished until he brings them to completion. You got that? Be encouraged by that. Even though it feels like he's absent, God is working. You can take that with a guarantee. Takeaway number two, God cares for you and he loves you. Just look at how he responded to the situation with Paul here. That's love right there. Think about that. Like, think about the fact that he cares for you and he loves you. Think about this deeper, but also not, don't think too highly of yourself. It doesn't care, care for you and love you because you're so amazing, as you might be thinking. In fact, look what the Bible says about, about his love for us in the condition that we are. Um, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 we see that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not about how awesome you are, but it's all about how awesome he is. And he has chosen to love you and to care for you. And so for me, that's just something that we really need to take hold of tightly and dearly because we do live in times of trial. We do live in times of challenge. And sometimes we live in times where we don't even know if we're loved. And it's hard to, to see it with the, how the world functions today. And I don't know about you, but usually uh, actions speak louder than words, don't they? And so when someone says, I love you, it's like, okay, that's great. I love you too. But when someone shows it, that really means everything, doesn't it? Well, God has already shown that to us. And so we can definitely count on it. He loves us. He cares for us. It's not over. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the end, at the, at the day of Christ Jesus, and because he loves us. Like if we look at the ex example with Paul there, with Esther, with David, you know, like these guys were going through a really tough time, very questionable as far as whether or not they were safe right? But God in their love and care for them, he made a way for them to fulfill his purposes. And I want you to know this, that even if it's death, you know, God protects you even through death, because this isn't the, the end of the world. This isn't the end of life, we'll say. After this comes life eternal. And so just rest assured he cares for you and he loves you. And I hope that you're encouraged by that. And takeaway number three, we should trust the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? The fact that he rules, that he's in charge of everything. We can trust that. You see, God, the creator, the one who is good, the, the very definition of good, he's in control, therefore we can trust him. But the way he works is definitely beyond our minds. And sometimes it's uncomprehendable for us to, to really understand who God is. Why? Because we're trying to understand an infinite being with our finite minds. But nevertheless, we have enough to know that we can trust him in his sovereignty. Isaiah 54, 16 through 17 says this, Behold, I have crafted the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. Think about that. God has crafted that, that person, that weapon. I have also created the ravager to destroy. Wait a minute. God created the person who brings destruction? Yes. But then it says this, No weapon that is, that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This is for those who are part of God's family, right? For those who belong, belong under the salvation of Jesus Christ. He promises 
that the vindication is for him, that those who persecute you, he will deal with. All right. You may not like the way he deals with people, but nevertheless, it is good. It is righteous. And you can count on the fact that he's got you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's in control of everything. Therefore, we shouldn't worry. How many of you guys are really good at worrying? Lies, right? <laughs> we all worry, aren't, don't we? Matthew 6, 26 says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, or, sow nor, they, nor they reap nor they gather into, gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? So what is this saying? It's, if we really trust the sovereignty of God, we don't have a thing to worry about. We know that he's working things together. So the challenges, challenges that we're dealing with in life, God's doing something with it. And so your prayer could be, God, help me understand what you're doing because I'm not getting it. So that, that's fair, Right. But nevertheless, it's good, and it's going to be something that will glorify God beyond anything. And so we can trust the sovereignty of God. And I want to close with this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is something that Peter writes, and he understands this. He understands the sovereignty of God. He understands um, the, 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 the trials and the sufferings that we go through here in this world, and nevertheless, the importance of leaning and trusting God in everything. And so 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time, at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Think about that passage. Really. God is in control even though you're being persecuted, even though there is an adversary, the devil, who's trying to destroy you. And there's no, no way around that. If you are a believer, that's exactly what's happening to you. And if you're not, I want to just invite you to really trust Jesus. For the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is life eternal. And there is no, no way to the Father except for through Christ. He himself says that, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you want that providential protection, right, that God just guarantees for his people, regardless of what it looks like, he knows, and we can trust him in his sovereignty. You know, he does promise it to those who love him and to, who, who, who live according to his will. And so I urge you to just live for Christ, to surrender to him, for there's nothing else that can satisfy you the way that the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ could. Amen? So let's um, go ahead and stand as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. We thank you, Father, that even though sometimes we don't see you, we know that you're working. We know that uh, you are in control of everything. So help us, Father, never forget that and not really lose sight of that that you're the one that hold, holds all things together, Lord Jesus, and you move all the pieces like, like a player with a chessboard. And everything's intentioned perfectly to bring you glory, to glorify you, Father. And I just ask, Father, that you would help us know that, 
and for the times that we live in are definitely more about your providence, Lord. And so, Lord, help us hold dear and near to that, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.